Hello, hello. I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapists next door. Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous. This week, we welcome Meng Xian Li, who is a PhD candidate and a music therapist. Welcome everyone to Therapist Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing someone in the helping profession, asking questions that you want the answers to and answering questions you didn't know you had. I'm Joanna, a board certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgendered female and my pronouns are she, hers, and my new favorite TV show is Australian Survivor. Sorry. And I'm Sarah, an LPC from Pennsylvania, transplant from South Jersey. I'm a cis het white woman, and my pronouns are she, her, and I am going to make a pumpkin roll tonight, which is seasonally appropriate for when we are recording this, not for when we are posting this. I still feel like it's probably seasonally appropriate. I'll I'll bring pumpkin season with me into I feel like November November still counts as pumpkin season anything before Christmas you do see gourds all the way up until yeah Christmas let's make the Christmas gourd a thing so maybe by the time we post this I'll have made two pumpkin rolls Ooh. so are have you made them before because I've tried a roll before and it didn't go well I've read so much about I've read so much about making them and I've read so it's so scary. It's so yeah. scary. People make mistakes all the time and yeah. nobody does it right. The first time I have not, I'm really, I think I've shared with you, Joanna, that I'm going through, I'm reading through this one book um, by this chef named Samin Nostrat. She actually has a show mm. on Netflix called Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat. It's like the four components of cooking because I do not cook. And I know what I sound like when I say that. And I know... I know what I sound like, but I, I like don't know how to cook. <laughs> so I'm learning how to cook <laughs> and I feel very, for the first time, I don't feel as intimidated by it. So this is the, I'm starting with desserts so that it's not daunting as daunting. Thank you for listening. That was You're my welcome. diary entry for the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think baking is like a big, baking is a pretty big step. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's, I know I just said I'm not intimidated, but I'm super yeah. intimidated. And even when, even when Cody, my husband asks what I'm making, I like, don't want to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want any expectations. I want to be the first one to eat it, to see it, to smell it. Um, but yeah, I like one of the first recipes in her book is Caesar dressing, which is totally something I'm going to do, but I want to, like, I made brownies first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of me doesn't want to know what's in Caesar dressing because, like, I know, but um, I don't want to know. Yeah, I'm sure well, it's probably well, much better than the than the bottle. Yeah, that's yeah. Speaking, I really of- think you should look at the book. It has some cool has some cool illustrations. I'm done. Okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> 
Um, speaking of cooking, I'm going to make my new favorite dish, which is called a Mexican Parma. I learned this from Australian Survivor. I guess chicken Parmesan's Parmas are pretty, are like very popular in uh, Australia. I know this from the Google search I did. So pardon me if my research isn't like 100%. Um, and it's basically a chicken Parmesan just with like Mexican fixins. So it's on top of chips, like tortilla chips, which seems kind of hard to eat. Um, and it's got like a breaded chicken patty, a la a chicken Parmesan, cheese, salsa, guacamole. And that's, and then any kind of, you know, if you want to put beans or, you know, that's what it's got. So it sounds like what is our how can we say like italian tex-mex like we say (laughs) i don't know it wouldn't work it wouldn't work out but i I like that combination of food i would never have heard of that yeah i'm gonna make chicken parma nachos tonight just because like i don't want to like cut through chips Mm. you know i'm really excited (laughs) for this i would like updates as that goes i'll give you i'll give you an update uh, I may or may not update you about the pumpkin roll. Okay, like I said I, I'm getting pretty cagey about it. <laughs> I'm I'm very proud of you. Those are those are really <laughs> tough. I tried to roll once and it was like very lame. Uh, it did not roll up, but it was good because it's just like cream and cake, so yeah, it still yeah, tasted good even if it looked like a tower instead of a roll. That's what I'm thinking. Like as long as I'm like baking it thoroughly, it's not gonna like hurt me. It's still gonna taste yummy. Yeah. I was inspired by that. the as, as great I say that all off. the chefs in the world and all the like confectionery folks in the world are just like shuddering. <laughs> <sighs> Any other tidbits? Um, I don't think so. I mean, just like watch Australian Survivor. Honestly, I like it a little better than regular Survivor. I didn't say that, but. Yeah, you know what show is fun for me to watch that I'm pretty ashamed about right now? It's Castle. I'm watching Castle. Oh, I've never seen Castle. <laughs> there are nine seasons. Nathan oh, Fillion is... Sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, procedural. It's not aging well. It <laughs> does not age well. So if you can tolerate all of the isms, um, mm. which I'm getting close to being done. Uh, <laughs> but I'm watching... I'm just on a Nathan Fillion kick. You know, ever since they talked about him in Big Mouth. Yeah. Um, The good thing about Australian Survivor is that the episodes are super long. They're like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, They go for 50 days instead of 39. Um, They only get half a million dollars, which I don't know what that conversion rate is from like Australian dollars to US, but I don't think it's half. Um. And all of their challenges are like who can plank the hardest, who can swim the fast, like just like they put you in a current is like, can you get there? Swim, you know, like, can you just like push, like just push this box back and forth and then someone falls in the water, you know, like it's very, very intense. Yeah, it it sounds it sounds like you need to be very fit. They were doing boat pose for an hour and 45 minutes, two people boat posing no. holding up something with their feet no yeah wait can you do can yeah. you do full boat pose i mean like feet yeah. and arms in the v, mm-hmm. feet and yeah. arms up it's like the only thing i for. can do 
Um, I feel like I could probably hold it for a minute, but not an a hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. That's very impressive. I, I think that's like with... the one core I have is like for that pose. You have plenty of core. <laughs> I think. <laughs> what a horrible way to say that. Um, Thank you. I think that. <laughs> I think that. Um, I can do it with my knees bent. But yeah. not for a minute. That's really impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I could. Yeah. Like that, that was. They did have little handles to hold on to help them like pivot. Mm-hmm um but yeah nuts wow like how long can you hold your arms out to the side let's just see yeah and i'm already getting tired right now and i'm not holding like you know weights on the end of it or something crazy the description of it is making me tired yeah as well i'm it's it sounds very hard but but they love their parmesans is that also jeff probst no, it's Jonathan something. Oh, we need his name. Yeah. I'll, that'll be that'll be on our next housekeeping. That'll be um, behind the page, not like behind the paywall. The weird thing is that he says the same things as Jeff Probe. So the come on in guys, which is now controversial. Come on in, folks. Come on in. Um, he says like just the same phrasing, you know, like the way he reads the votes. The I just it's it's all it's like as if Jeff Probst, like, put his self into an Australian man's body. It's very strange. I'm having thoughts about, like, lizard people, but I'm a little tired. Today. Yeah, yeah. But it's because it's not just, like, writing because it's the little things, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like those little, like, oh, he's looking this way. You know, I can't even think about it. It's like the little tiny things. So or someone's just, like, reading those to Jeff Probst all the time. I have no idea. So they just like gave him a bunch of like nuanced personality. Or we don't even know if I Jeff Probst actually speaks like that. Like I, yeah, I have no idea. One, one rogue example that both these men are having <laughs> yeah. to copy off of. And we'll never know who the original is. He's kept in a lockbox somewhere. Yeah. We'll never know. Anyway, speaking of housekeeping, how clean oh, are those God. floors? <laughs> my floors are so clean. I, you know what? My floors are so clean that I forget if they were dirty a month ago yeah i don't well i will say i want to apologize for the very not topical reference i made um in that episode i think i talked about the met gala which by the time you hear that episode will be a a couple weeks slash months ago Mm um so i will i will apologize for that other than that uh pumpkins here recording with me today so if you hear some little snorts and snores um that's her because our floor is being cleaned by the Roomba that we bought um (laughs) uh and she won't she doesn't like it so I'll let her come in here all right welcome pumpkin yeah I have company but I don't want to say his name or he'll come near me (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right well stay tuned uh after the break for our history lesson
And now it's time for our history lesson. The history lesson is compiled facts describing history, good and bad, as well as current affairs. There you go. In order to give context for the field that our interviewee is working in. All right, our sources for today are hopkinsmedicine.org, crossroadshospice.com, and wikipedia.org. No trigger warning for our history lesson today. Terms you will need to know. First one is neurorehabilitation, which is a doctor-supervised program designed for people with diseases, injury, or disorders of the nervous system. Neurological rehab can often improve function, reduce symptoms, and improve the well-being of the patient. The next term is caregiver, uh, who is a paid or unpaid member of a person's social network who helps them with activities of daily living, or ADLs. Since they have no specific professional training, they are often described as informal caregivers. Caregivers most commonly assist with impairments related to old age, disability, disease, or mental disorders. Well, and Joanna, you and I, and probably our guests too, we've all worked with the elderly at some point. And I think we've also encountered encountered some paid caregivers. Like mm -hmm. in some states, Pennsylvania included, you can get paid an hourly wage to care for an elderly relative or family member. Yep. Not even just elderly. All right. What does neuro, re, neuro what does neuro rehabilitation treat? Some of the conditions that may benefit from neurological rehab may include vascular disorders, such as isthmic strokes caused by blood clots, hemorrhagic strokes caused by bleeding in the brain, subdural hematoma, infections like meningitis, encephalitis, polio, and brain abscesses, traumas of the brain or spinal cord structural or neuromuscular disorders such as Bell palsy, carpal tunnel syndrome, brain and spinal cord tumors, peripheral neuropathy, and muscular dystrophy. Also functional disorders like headaches, seizure disorders, and dizziness. De degenerative disorders are included as well, including Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and Alzheimer's disease. Let's talk about some famous caregivers in history, starting with Hippocrates or Hippocrates. Uh, born in 460 BC, Hippocrates was an ancient Greek physician who is widely regarded as the, quote, father of medicine. Although the facts of his life and accomplishments are somewhat obscure, he did, quote, shift healthcare out of the realm of religion and superstition and into the sphere of science. He also founded a medical school and inspired the Hippocratic Oath, which is a pledge taken by newly qualified doctors that promises that promises ethical behavior towards patients. Many of Hippocrates' findings and beliefs are applicable to caregivers today, including the idea of the healing power of nature, which includes a good diet, cleanliness, fresh air, and rest. We're going to be encountering a couple fathers of things today, just letting, <laughs> letting everybody know. The next caregiver in history who is famous is Florence Nightingale. She's the founder of modern nursing and came to prominence for ministering to soldiers in Turkey during the Crimean War. Nightingale, along with a team of nurses, improved the unsanitary conditions and reduced the death count by two thirds. It's, it's wild. Due to spending her night rounds giving personal care to the wounded, she soon came to be known as, quote, the lady with the lamp. If anybody should be considered an inspiration for dispensing loving care with ex exemplary dedication, it is certainly Florence Nightingale. I don't know about you, but when I was like growing up for some reason, Florence Nightingale was like a mythic person in my mind. Like she was like a badass bitch, nursing, healing. I don't know. 
for some reason that ghost. name was like <laughs> she always was billowing to me in my mind um you know just yeah. like whoo, coming in here's medicine like i don't know, I don't walls. know. <laughs> yeah. I did see an, like she was portrayed in something i saw on tv once and she just showed up and healed someone <laughs> and then she left and they were all like they saw like a picture of florence nightingale and they were like oh was it her that's know. like me when i was five or something <laughs> it's ridiculous so let's talk about sir william osler uh he was a 19th century canadian physician who is frequently described as the father of modern medicine as one of the four founding professors of john hopkins hospital and its first physician in chief in 1889 he revolutionized the american medical curriculum when he created the first residency program for specialty training of physicians he was also one of the first to teach medical students at the bedside rather than in the lecture hall beyond reminding caregivers to maintain a sense of humor osler was also known to say listen to your patient he, she, or they is telling you the diagnosis. I added the she or they. Uh, a reminder to caregivers that listening should always be a priority. This gentleman was ahead of his time with that. And that's still something that should be resounding in healthcare a little more loudly these days. Yeah. These days. I'd like to take that phrase out of my Rolodex <laughs> of terms these days. Ugh. All right. Anne Sullivan. You probably know Anne Sullivan from her work with Helen Keller, a deaf and blind child that Sullivan taught to communicate with others. At 21 years old, Sullivan traveled to Tuscumbia, Alabama. Tuscumbia, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm probably gonna leave that one in there. <laughs> no, please do. Tuscumbia, okay. Alabama. Nope, <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> no more accents. Uh, to work for the Keller family demonstrating, quote, great maturity and ingenuity in breaking through the sensory walls around Helen. Sullivan helped her learn nearly 600 words and how to read Braille within several months. News of her success with Keller spread, bringing both women much acclaim. Sullivan would continue to help Keller for years to come, helping her graduate college and write her autobiography. Here's a fun fact about Ann Sullivan. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, a couple friends and I put on a production of The Miracle Worker, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is the play about Helen Keller. I played Anne Sullivan. Uh, I could not do an Irish accent, so I just opted to do a Southern accent. <laughs> um, so, it's Sarah, I apologize for making faces all during the time you were reading that because I was trying hard to, like, keep it in. Uh, because there is a video of this um, that my grandma took. <laughs> we should probably share a screenshot of that. Yeah, I'll, I have to find it and like take it off of VHS. <laughs> <laughs> I'll spare in love and war, Captain. Was one of the lines <laughs> I said. <laughs> was she was she in on on a battlefield at a certain point? No. Oh, heard. I think it's like. This is difficult with your daughter. Uh oh, war. Yeah, yeah. She but love also referenced love, mm. all and fairness. She was referenced <laughs> in a book I read recently about a man who lived in Chicago, named H. H. Holmes. <laughs> 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 but she was at the World's Fair. In oh, Chicago. Mm -hmm. glad she made it out. She did. Yeah. 
<laughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, stick with us after the break as we join our interviewee. Meng Sang Lee is currently a PhD candidate at Temple University. She's a board certified music therapist. Her research interests involve the effect of music therapy on psychosocial well being for persons involved in neurorehabilitation and their caregivers. Meng Sang is a teaching assistant and placement coordinator at the music therapy department at Temple University. She completed her bachelor's degree in Taiwan and is passionate about the music therapy education especially for international students' learning experiences. Um, Mong Sang enjoys baking as her stress management and loves sharing her baking products with friends. She also enjoys cooking and camping. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. Uh, my first question is, how many times have you made a jelly roll or pumpkin roll? Pumpkin roll? I've never made pumpkin roll, but I made uh, so many uh, milk toast, like milk bread. Mm. Uh, more into kind of like Asian style baking instead of like Americanized one, which is too sweet for me. Yeah. Cool. And and there's a lot of pumpkin just hanging out with that sweetness too. There's just pumpkin in a lot of things. Yeah. I am very envious of your ability to share, <laughs> to share with people and not feel shame. I can't believe that we were talking about that on the same episode, but yeah. Very I was impressive. actually um, pretty like I enjoy your like sharing about the cooking and the baking. I was like, well, that's one of my my hobbies is to just bake and cook. And then my other thing is like I don't like to eat them. I like to share them. So <laughs> I don't really care how they taste like. I was just like once they are done, I'm happy, and then I want to send them out. Oh, that's so sweet. That's truly the opposite of how I feel. I'm very, very <laughs> sweet. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So to the real first question is, um, sorry. So the real first question is, tell us a little bit about what you do. I guess this is not a question about how I bake. So it's like how I do as a therapist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a researcher. Um, also, I do, I, I do have different identities, but I'll start with more professional ones. Um, I'm, I'm currently a PhD candidate uh, working on, as Sarah mentioned earlier, working on my dissertation, um, looking at psychosocial well-being in terms of their mood states, their relationships, um, the entire psychosocial domains uh, for people who have acquired brain injuries and their caregivers. It's kind of like my my main priority in my life right now. Um, the other side is teaching assistant. I'm also teaching classes um, at Temple University. Um, that's basically 80% of what I'm doing every day. And the rest of the thing will be baking, sleeping, watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for answering that before I asked. <laughs> How did you get into this field of study? I think um, I was a classical music like trend back in Taiwan. And I remember I started learning piano since I was four. 
Um, so I was born and raised in Taiwan, and um, because the music, the learning environment was super competitive, I bet it's still very competitive right now. And I told myself like, I feel like music is for everyone, and why am I spending? Practicing music by myself in a little cubic. This is not how I want to use music. This is not how I want to share music. So at high school, I was just like, are there any other ways I can, I can use music in different ways? And I found out music therapy. And then, I don't know what's that back then. I was like, it sounds cool. So I signed up for it, and I did my undergraduate um in music therapy. And then, that's. How I get in the field, and then I worked after getting my bachelor degree, and then feel inadequate as a new music therapist、um, with a bachelor degree, and then that's why I decided to quit my job and came to the United States、um, to get my master degree, and then some something went wrong. I signed up for PhD, and then right now that's where I am right now. Yeah. Great, thank、yeah. you.、Um, what are some big differences between academia and clinical work? Hmm, it's a good question.、Um, I think in the beginning, when I I remember the first year being the teaching assistant, I just like teaching classes by myself. I was like, I cannot imagine I'm doing this, especially by now. You probably can tell English is not my first language. Like. And I have an accent, and I was like, I don't know how to do this. But the more I teach, the more I get a chance to interact with students. I was like, there's so many similarities between doing clinical work and teaching students. It's a lot. There's like a very firm line layer, like what is like the qualities we need from the educators. What do we need as a therapist? But there's so many similarities, like understanding students. Yes, we do understanding clients, building relationships. Yes, we also need to learn、uh, how to build relationship with your clients and students. So in terms of the big differences, is how to pull myself back, saying I'm not a therapist, I'm an educator. So when do I give support? When do I push? When do I draw a line? Say, I really hear you, but I think you need to bring these questions to your therapy sessions. And I think that part for me is very hard, and I'm still learning how to balance that. When to use? When when do I show my compassion? When do I draw a line? Say, I'm sorry. This is it. So I think that's the big differences for now at this point. Yeah, for me, yeah. It really speaks to how we have to like oscillate as supervisors sometimes too between between being that clinical support and like what we offer to clients in therapy. And I think that sometimes supervisors really struggle with that, so they just kind of go full therapist with their supervisees, and it's not, you know, it's not good or ethical or safe to do that. And I mean, you're. Your origin story is also so similar to so many music therapists. You know, like classically trained, coming from a music background, and then thinking, "I want to give this to everybody." So it's kind of like harnessing that power, harnessing that interest, and then by、mm-hmm. the time you get to work with clients or with students, you also have to strengthen the ability to 
oscillate between those two identities, we're doing so much at once. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and I, I feel like because I cannot say, oh, when I'm being your teacher, I can put my therapist identity in a shelf and say, oh, don't come out. It's just impossible. That's all my identities, and that's become who I am as a teacher. And I think there's a lot of advantage for that. But also sometimes I need to remind myself, like, no, I'm not a therapist here and I'm not helping them in a way to help them become a professional for my students. And I think that definitely applies to so many outside supervisors. So I also, I also work closely with our supervisors and identify what other things um, our supervisors can help can facilitate and lots of things that I was like, no, this is something um, as an educator, we want to bring it back to the university's level and then use it as an educator because it's just so hard. And then sometimes we put so much energy on it and then it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's a balancing, it's a, it's a dance. And then I don't have a clear answer about what is right or what is wrong. And I'm, I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. When you said it's not always, it's not helpful to them. That that's just, we should just print that out and have that as a framed picture. It's not helpful to them because that's motivation enough. You're not helping them. If you, if you switch roles. Yeah. All right. Ooh. Great answer. <laughs> In that same vein. Um, What's something that you love about what you do and what's something that you would change, if anything? I think as a writer, as an educator, which I identify more, um, something I love to do is to really, to, I don't know, to to cultivate the, the young music therapy student. And I think, wow, they have the fresh blood. They have so all the passions of all the world, their whole life is about music therapy. And I feel like sometimes by engaging conversation with them, just really, it's very refreshing to me as a experienced therapist. Sometimes I was like, oh, is this worth it? Is this something I want to do? But just by being with them, like give me more, kind of like a fresh air. I was like, yes. Validation for me as well as, yes, this is the professional I want to dive in. This is a professional I can contribute to the ways I want. And I think in terms of the challenging wise, it's like there are so many different voices. I want to just say voices um, in our own professional field. Um, it's a little, a little bit chaos in my own personal opinion, but I think this is a good chaos that we are experiencing. But is this, this the best timing for students? I don't think so. But we are evolving as we progressing. So not the best time for teaching students, especially during the pandemic. We have juggling so much about the virtual teaching and then sending students to have the virtual fieldwork pra practicum. Is this ideal? Mm -hmm. I don't think so, but this is what we can do right now. Um, so I think uh, as challenging comes from both both ideas, both, both perspective. It can be good, it can be bad. Um, 
I don't know, maybe after 10 years, I would say this is a good challenge. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, it's interesting when you're talking about the many voices. Can you talk about that a little more? Like we do have so many voices in the field of music therapy and it like now that you're on the academic side too, yeah. what else do you notice? I think just the voices in terms of like, we have so many movements, we have Black Lives Matter and then people of color. And then we have DEI committee going on in our national conferences. I do want to acknowledge that what I referring to so many voices and I'm so glad and I'm grateful. I am able to join this flow at this time of the period, this is definitely not pleasant experience to hear so many voices because I sometimes I got dizzy. I was like, oh, there are so many information. I, as a professional, I feel like I need to catch up. But I also remind myself I have my own limitations. It's impossible for me to understand it, everyone. But that's okay. But I need to keep learning and keep being open-minded and keep hearing all the voices as much as I can, but not overwhelming myself by putting myself like 24 hours listening to this here and there, here and there. And I feel having a grounding skills is essential to me as a professionals and then as an educators. Um, how do I ground myself? when where's my limits okay once i'm rigid i need to step back and digest with all those information and i go out again and digest again and i think we are having so many changes right now changes are good but i also don't want to rush myself making any responses before i digest information if that makes sense and I don't know a lot about this, but are you also referring to kind of like the big changes that are happening in like the AMTA and and that sort of that sort of yeah, stuff? Yeah, definitely AMTA is part of it. Seems like right now we just finished, just finished. No, we just had our national conferences, um, and then we are also planning for the um, regional conferences as well. So I think. There are so many things I saw on the social media and definitely mm. our students has also presented like, oh, we as a music therapy students uh, should lay involved in any kind of capacity. So it's interesting. And like yesterday, I just shared with my student, I was like, figure out what's the priority in your life. And then that's it, like, we don't need to do everything. And I think that's as a therapist, sometimes I think I can do everything. I want to do, I want to help, I want to fix. And I was like, that's okay. Sometimes maybe we are experiencing the uncomfortable is what do we need to experience? The chaos is exactly what we need to experience. Can we, it's very similar to the session, like when we work with clients, we need to bear with the discomfort because if you cannot fix everything and then, but can you be there for them? So related to our professionals and the national conference, the AMTA, can we be there for each other? 
and 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 I think that's that's good enough, especially for our students. And I talked to my interns, and I was like, I have been, I was an intern. I know how exhausted it can be mentally and physically. You have the power to decide whether this is a good timing for you to dive into this conversation and wanted to know the whole picture. But the change is not gonna come in a week, not in a two weeks. It's a year. It's a long term goal, <laughs> and we are reaching there. So, what's your short term goal? Can you identify that? And after you reach that, you can decide whether you want to be the volunteer for AMTA, be the leadership for that, and something I I encourage them to do. And I think that's something I encourage myself to do. Like, what's my priority? And I, if I have extra energy, I would contribute myself, my time, but definitely knowing my limitations.、Um, and I think that's tied into self care, all the things. Lots of people have been talking throughout the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's another similarity that this shares with the clinical space too, because you made that comparison with. You know, being a therapist with your clients and sitting with that discomfort, but also from a client's perspective, you need that stamina. You need to understand that change is not just going to happen. If you like start running, you know, you start training for a marathon one day, or you start to try to make all these new friendships or make all these new like outlandish goals, you need to have stamina. You need to set small goals. You need to work towards them, and you need to build up that strength. And it's the same. With your like internal social change too, it's you can't get burnt out or you won't continue. Exactly,、mm -hmm. right. How do people react when you tell them about the field that you're in?、Mm, I'll start it with my family, my core circle. It's like, okay, okay、uh, music therapist. Okay, so I ran into someone, and can you diagnose them? And I said. That's not what we do. Sorry. Oh, I ran into someone. They love music. Can you work with them?、Uh, what do they need? <laughs> so, and I think that's the like the common questions I usually got my from my families. They learn about music therapist.、Um, but I think as people know more about music therapy, they are kind of like very. Usually, they started with like very curious about like so. What do you do? And I can turn out to have like a two hours conversation and trying to explain, and、uh, the summary they'll have. Okay, so you play music, and then they feel better. If you want to interpret that, okay, yeah, that's one way of interpretation.、Um, and I think that people's reactions, especially in Taiwan, is usually very curious about what music therapy is.、Um, They some of them still having difficulties trying to distinguish what's the differences between music education and music therapy.、Um, but definitely,、um, the understanding of music therapy as a professional has been grown so much.、Um, and I love to talk to people, like random people, if they want to have a small talk with me, and I feel like. Usually, people hear music, and then they jump into that music component, and then started to share 
about their son, their daughter, who loves music, blah, 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 like to help with other people. And I feel it's just such a good field to, to be in because I don't know, like I cannot be a lawyer, but if I have a small talk with someone who is a lawyer, I say, oh, what do you do? A lawyer. Okay, thank you. But I'm a professional. What do you do? I'm a music therapist. Oh, you know what? So and so also loves music, and I think it's just such、mm. a good title to have. Just very open, very neutral to have a um the field, and then um less power dynamic between. It's very approachable, very friendly field. I feel yeah. That's how I usually get the response. Great.、Um, so, kind of in that same way, can you tell us something about your field that would surprise our listeners? Surprise our listener.、Mm. I don't know who are the listeners, but I, I'm trying to assuming everybody knows a lot already by this time. I don't know, but something. I would just say something. Maybe lots of music therapists would already know, but. Seems I'm primarily working with people who have acquired brain injury. Um, lots of them because the damage in their brain, they may lose the function of speak speaking, or walking. Uh, and the reason I'm 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 sharing this because I try to share the same concept with our students, and then they seems like, oh, okay, but they don't really believe it. So I'm most like people who have aphasia, they may not able to talk, but they can sing. So when I share this fact with our students, they're like, "Okay, cool." But once when they see the video, when they see the real person they work with, who may who have aphasia, and then they cannot really talk, but they do sing. And I think that's the, it's such a like powerful music. Like I'm so drawn into. It's like how music can cross to all the areas in our brain and then trying、mm-hmm. to make connections, and the motivations there. And then something is the mystery to me between the music and the brain, neurologic part. And I, and I bet probably lots of listeners for this podcast already know that. But I just want to still present this example, like, and if you can, Google it, and I just watch a YouTube, watch a video on this. This is really fascinating. Listening to music, build a connections can be just in five seconds. Um, where does the tears come from when we just listen to music? Um. And I think that's the field I am in,、um, and I'm proud to be this to be one of the members for this community. Yeah, I don't know if this sounds surprising, but hopefully it does. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot of things. I want to put on like the applause sign and just have a、yeah. clap because that was that was exactly exactly what you know why this exists.、Uh, even in your previous answer, you know, talking about how. The power dynamic changes when you say music therapist, especially versus therapist, because 
music is accessible to literally every culture. It is accessible to every socioeconomic status in every country, whatever group you're a member of. And, and then when you add in ability as well for any type of illness, it is wild how, how many more people can be reached and how many more people feel humanized again right. or for the first time. I got chills. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, are there any misperceptions of your field? Oh, yeah. I bet. I don't know um, how other music therapists have experienced, but I definitely have lots of misconceptions. Mm -hmm. uh, at my uh, previous work hospital, hospital, and I think especially people when seeing a young lady with the guitar, a chord of instrument, uh -huh, music lady. So your job is so, so easy, right? You just like play music in a hospital. And I think that's probably many, many music therapists have experienced before and many, many times. And it was like, yeah, you just play music and then people feel better. And I think that's the biggest like perceptions about music therapists. Like, but it depends on the audience. Sometimes I don't really correct them because there's no point. Um, mm -hmm. But I think uh, therapist itself, it's a big professional, very in-depth. Um, and adding the music as our co-therapist, it just bring our field to another different level which I think there's so many potentials that I don't even know like how, how, how to articulate that. Um, and I think that's the part I'm so attracted to music because music is so accessible and so approachable, but in the other, all the way, the other spectrum, music can be so mysterious um so unpredictable why do we have music and why do we have the bits and how do we define music so in other way music can be anything that i don't know so i think that spectrum that leading to lots of misperceptions that i as a music therapist i may even don't have the answer for that and then that's why we need more people. Why we just need more therapists. We need more researchers to figure out what we are doing. And I think as a researcher myself, so many things happen in the sessions. I don't know how other people maybe like they know what's going on, but I'm very honest. I was like, sometimes it just work. And I don't know why it works with my clients, but I don't know which part I did makes it work. And maybe it's everything. And maybe just me being there. And maybe it's the greeting. I, I, I said it in the beginning. I don't know. But I guess because that is so many things unknown, that's also leading to some misperceptions to our field. Uh, that's okay. We're learning, we're growing. Um, yeah, and then I'm getting tangential, so I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> You're totally fine. <laughs> I, 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 no. 
I have a lot of thoughts. I, I, I think that there is, I don't know. I can't organize them right now. <laughs> okay. I just I feel very satisfied by that answer. I feel just that you're, you're speaking to it perfectly. And when we mentioned in the beginning, you know, how we are having to do so much, we are so trained and so educated and we have so many things just like stuffed into our brains that we need to know how to do that once we get into the room, we could be doing multiple things that we're not even aware of that are just coming naturally at this point. And regardless of it's the greeting, the treatments, you know, the closing, who knows, but there's many places where somebody can benefit. And it's really freaking cool. Right. <laughs> How do you feel like your personality is represented in the work that you do, if at all? Um, I have thought about this questions many times and then, and I want to, uh, getting tangential here purposefully for this <laughs> and i think something i learned um i identified as a asian or maybe international music therapist so even just in my whole culture background my learning experience uh, at least i experienced i cannot speak for everyone who come from taiwan who um Unless my experience and my education, I don't feel I was being asked so many times about who I am, how I feel, and who are you. So I'm purposely getting tangential here because I think that's the personality come from. It's like, if I don't know who I am, how I feel, how do I know what personality do I have? And then I was being asked so many times when I arrived in the United States, people was like, how are you? How are you? And I first year, I have to say first year, I was seriously answer the question, like seriously answer this question to whoever asked me. And then I realized, oh, while I'm responding to them, they are walking away from me. I was like, oh, okay, so you don't mean it. Okay, never mind. And I learned it, okay, it's a different way. So greeting and I'm learning that it's a culture shock. And then I just like, seems I'm being asked so many times. And then I started to learn, okay, so how am I feeling right now? So what's my personality? And then I just like, oh, I'm still figuring out, but I think by this point, my personality is, has so many different, um, shapes, so many different colors. If I want to put it in the more arts form, sometimes it can be so introvert, like I don't want to talk to anyone. I just process things by myself. I like to talk to myself. So that's one part of my personalities. I like to talk, but I like to talk to myself. I help myself to process things, but I can also be so extrovert. I can put me in a social event and I will be a social butterfly if I want to be. But I think in general, I'm pretty straightforward. And I would, I would want to see myself as a very authentic and honest people to whoever I'm talking to, not just because they are my clients. So I'm not being straightforward with them. I was like, no, this is my personality. And then if we are not the best match for each other, that's fine. We'll find you another therapist because maybe my personality just doesn't really 
help you in this context and that's fine and i think that personality also um show in my teaching so i'm very structured person so i like to give my students very clear about what i'm expecting from you so i'm like more like the hard part outside this is my rules and i give them like 10 rules and they are like oh my god this person is crazy but i was like then i'm open-minded to let's talk about each rules and i can be flexible there and that's just who i am and then i'm open to any kind of conversation but it has to be come from the other side i done my part and then it's your turn and i like two ways of communication um not say for now that's how i figure by now <laughs> yeah i love that accountability piece like like laying out your rules and laying out what the boundaries are essentially and also mm -hmm. to be fair i do not I, I still get thrown off by people asking how I am <laughs> or I still accidentally ask people how they are at really inappropriate times when obviously they're not good, like at maybe a funeral or, <laughs> you know, something inappropriate. I, I think it's a, it's a funny part of um, the greeting here. It's very strange. Yeah. So, um, so I also talked to like my other colleagues who also come from like Asian countries and I found out at least from Taiwan, we don't ask people, how are you? But we ask people, have you eaten yet? We like, more care about the food. Did you eat? <laughs> if we made like in the lunch time, oh, did you eat lunch? Did you eat breakfast? Where are you going to have for your dinner? That's usually how we start in the conversation. It's about food. I love that. <laughs> are there canned answers like I, how, people here will say, okay, or I'm fine, or I'm good, you? Or do oh, people say like- I feel full of food, we are serious. At least I'm serious Amazing. about food. Right, you're yeah. up front. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that. What so are you having for dinner? Mexican sounds... Parma. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we already yeah, know. Shoot. All right, um, okay, so COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. How has it affected your work? And, you know, what has been a good change? What has been a not so good change? So as my, my main focus right now is more like a teaching. So definitely the pandemic just helps me to learn how to teach online using Zoom and then be familiar with, oh yeah, how to share screen? How do I share my sound? How do I do that? Okay, how do I unmute? How do I turn off the video? Um, that's something, it's a huge shift in my teaching. And I think just as a music therapy, and I also working closely with uh, students in at their fieldwork sites or their internship. This, I think with the, the entire virtual things definitely shifts my whole world view about how things can be done and how quickly human being can adapt. I'm just fascinating with that. I was like two years ago, asking me about Zoom. I was like, what, what's that? I don't know how to do that, but I was very impressed with all the therapists, all the teachers, all the whoever need to do the virtual things. Like we learn it, it's like, you learn that, boom, there you go. And I, especially for engineers that like, we need this software to work and then they boom, 
Nếu không sử dụng, they advance it and then they improve it like daily, weekly, probably by minutes or seconds. And I'm just so fascinated about how quickly human beings can adapt and then can survive in this environment on Earth. But that also scares me. That also means how fast we can damage the earth because it always comes from two sides. And then mm-hmm. so, I don't know, that's that's where I'm thinking right now. We are so good at this. But is this good for our own species? Oh, is this good for the entire environment? And that's something I think the COVID pandemics really teach me to slow down and really looking at to what's happening right now. Just not not only my field, not my professional, not my students, but me related to the, the earth and the universe. And then I'm getting potential again. Yeah. So no, we are highly adaptable. We are yeah. over. We are We're adaptable, adaptable to tangentials too. So please keep going. <laughs> yeah, don't you don't need to apologize for that. It's so it's it's so important and yes, we you're bringing up something very important that that our ability to adapt can can actually be something that is very negative for us because there are resources available to us that we are making technology to replace. Does that make sense? Yes. Like we have some things and then we're creating technology in order to replace those things when those things are good enough, naturally occurring and good enough. Yeah. And I think that the idea of good enough, it's, I think something Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about and a lot, and that kind of applies to so many things. Am I good enough as a therapist, as an educator, as a daughter, as a scholars? Am I good enough for my students? Uh, and then for so many things. And then that applies to technology. Like, I know it may sound like ridiculous to use this example, but is this phone I'm using, is that good enough? Then why am I using the second one? Why do I have the urge to want to buy the next one if it just got released? What's that for? And I think that's probably the therapist the instinct and the therapist mindset talking to my to me. I was like, why do you need a new one? And then does that really help you? And in which level? And I think the entire pandemic things just really helps me to reflect on so many things that what I'm having right now, what I own the things, and then one of the things I do I need it or do I want it? And I think maybe so many people are already doing this, but I'm so late to join again. But I'm really starting to reflecting on do I need it or do I want it? And then why do I want it? And then where does this urge coming from? And I think that applies to therapeutic, therapeutic sessions. Why the clients need to make the change? Where does the motivation come from? And if we can help and facilitate to identify the motivations, then they can be the one making the changes. And which I believe they should be the one making the change. I'm just be there with you. That's it. Uh, 
But if I couldn't figure out what motivates myself to wake up every day, do my things, then how do I help my clients? Um, and so I think the motivation part is really something I'm learning and I'm continuously learning throughout the pandemic. That's fantastic. Um, I think you've already answered this question mostly, um, but I want to ask it again in case there's anything you want to add. Um, so how has your identity, either racial, ethnic, sexuality, gender, et cetera, helped or hindered your practice? This is a huge, big question. It is. Uh, yeah. Um, it's not just helped or hidden. Um, and I think it, my identity shaped who I am as a therapist. It also influenced my relationships with my clients. Um, it's really a huge topic. And if I get to starting to really analyzing this is probably takes like two months or something. So I'm just going to give a quick story about how my identity identity has really kind of like influenced or impact my practice. And it's just like a not interesting story, but just a story I had with my clients. Um, so I remember I work in a um, psychiatric hospital. I was trying to lead a relaxation, music relaxation um, activity. So in the beginning, of course, I went to the room and I'm trying to set up everything I need. And I invited, um, the clients and saying about, oh, I'm going to have the music relaxation. If you want to join us, please stay. If you think it is something you don't want it, that's okay. But I may need to invite you to like, go to other places to do the things, um, you want to do like reading or drawing. So I have a client say he was drawing whatever he's painting or coloring. I forgot. Um, but he's like, okay, I'll stay. And I said, okay. But he's like still coloring the color books or something. And then so in the beginning, and I was like, I ask everybody to like, um, just find a comfortable position as we all do for the intro. And then so, um, the client I refer earlier who are doing coloring uh, and she stopped. So as you can imagine, we are trying to get comfortable and then some of the clients close their eyes because they want to feel the music. And then we started with a couple deep breathing and breathed out. And then I was going to say, um, if you have any questions, I'm here and the music here, why I'm doing that. The gentleman just raised her hand rest his hand and like, I have a question, loud and clear. Mm -hmm. So everybody opened their eyes. And then the gentleman almost yelling, say, where is the best Chinese restaurant in this area? And I look at him and there are so many thoughts running into my mind and brain, but I decided to stay calm and I asked him, Good questions. Do you think that related to what we plan to do? No. Then I decide not to answer you right now. But if you really need this answer, 
we can talk more after the group. And the gentleman just looked at me and then, okay. And I said, do you want to do a music relaxation with us? Yes. And then, of course, I prepped everybody because everybody was laughing so loud because like, wow, he's so funny, hilarious. And then he just trying to be funny and humor. Um, but I prepped everyone and then we did the music relaxation. And after that, the group, he did come to me. He, he, come, he came to me and I was like, oh, he probably really want to know. And then he said, that's the first time I have slept over, I think, a month. I have images in his head and he knows what he needs to do right now. So in other words, he found his motivation to make the change. And that just is such a story that I'm hold, that I'm holding to, that my identity may appear as an obstacle, quote unquote, a challenging for me to build connections and relationships, even with the clients here in the United States. But I can also be a white starting point for them because I come from with, I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. Then let's start from the beginning. And I got it. The first question he had with the Chinese restaurant is the testing. It's the testing to see, can I trust you? Can you take this attack? Boom. Huh? You can take it. Okay. Maybe I can trust you. Even you appears different. It's very clear. You appear different. Our color is different. And you, our language is different. Our music taste is different. But can I trust you? And then because my response, or maybe because of something else, it helped him to find his motivation. And that's something I want to say my identity, my language, my racial, my ethnicity, my gender, my sexuality, it may appear as a challenges, but sometimes it may appear as a different, my advantage to reach out to the clients I've never known. And that, that's something I'm aware of that and I'm continue working on that. That's my story for this. Yeah. That's an incredible story. I, I both miss and don't miss group therapy in, in patients like listening to that. And it, there also needs to be so much personal comfort and confidence in, in your parts of your identity. Because if you kind of have this thing that's like the test, like you said, that is meant to either test, but also like secondary gain kind of humiliate you, mm -hmm. you have to be able to have that confidence as a clinician to know that it's, it's literally not about you. He literally only knows, you know, the language you speak, you know, your ethnicity and where you work and that's it. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's hard to remember that as, as a, as a therapist, it's hard to remember that and not personalize things. Right. And I think maybe it's personal, 
maybe it's not personal, but since it's about me, and he asked the question toward to me, so I do have the power to decide it. Do I want to perceive it as a personal or not personal? So then I have the power to decide which aspects I want to take on, and then sometimes I use a lot as humor. And then that's how I can survive. I cannot take everything so seriously. And then, and then I think we should put that in the competency is humor, <laughs> as a, being a therapist. I agree. Yeah, I also <laughs> agree. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, is there any resources that you feel like everybody should know about our listeners, us, therapists, people in general? I don't, I don't think so. I feel there are so many, too many resources online. And then, um, I believe the listeners and the audience, they can reach out to them. Um, like it's like too many things on, on the internet. I don't think there's this one like everybody should know about. But I would just like um, pacing yourself if you're trying to find the resources. Like, don't need to feel like is this the right one? Is this the golden one? Am I reaching the correct resources I should be reading? And I say, just trust your instinct. If you find this articles appears to me, they keep reading. If you find the language is really hard to chew, then find another one. And that's our luxury being in this generation is we have choice um, and then we have the power to decide which information to take on. But I only just for me as well, don't take too much, just baby steps. I don't have any other resources to provide, but just baby steps. Yeah. That's, that's excellent it. tip. Yeah. Uh, do you have any questions for us? Uh, how often do you interview, um, interview it? Like I would want to like follow, but I was like, it's like every other week or like every month I can follow up. <laughs> um, we are every week of the month besides the first week. So we yeah. skip the first Monday of every month and then it's every Monday after that. Thank you for that question. Sounds good. I'll definitely follow up. So here we go. Would you rather famous game that we both and including guests give famously typical answers to? Okay. So would you rather always have to say what you're thinking or you're frequently compelled to lie for no reason? First one. <laughs> I already share my personality. I just want to say what happened. I want to be no filter if I can, but okay. I can I won't survive, but so. <laughs> so you're compelled to lie. Are you going to do it? Because we can be compelled and then not do it, right? I feel like it means that you're going to do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I, I'm working on having like more positive internal thoughts. So I think maybe like soon I'll choose that. Okay. <laughs> can, I give, can I give a soon? What about you, Joanna? I don't know. Um, I feel like it would just be too strange if people knew what I was thinking all the time. Because it's like mostly a food based. Um, it's like maybe it's not that bad, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, oh. Thinking, I'm thinking about cookies right now because um, I bought some cookies and I'm like, ooh, those are going to taste good in a couple of minutes. So. 
Yeah, people will just be like, okay, I'm done listening. Yeah. Anything bad comes. If I'm like pumpkin roll, pumpkin roll, pumpkin roll, you know? Um, Just like my intricate, you know, like math equations of the nachos I'm going to make later, you know? (laughs) That is perfect. So, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Great answers all around. (laughs) Thank you so much for uh, interviewing with us today. It was fantastic. And, um, yeah thank you absolutely it was a pleasure all right and we'll be right back thank you for listening to the show be sure to subscribe slash rate slash review us on stitcher spotify and apple podcasts you can check us out on instagram at tnd pod on Twitter at TherapistNDPod, all one word, or visit our website at tndpodcast.com. If you would like the ability to vote on what questions we ask our guests, bonus episodes, and so much more, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash tndpodcast. If you'd like to contact us for whatever reason, uh, you can email us at therapistsnextdoor at gmail.com. Only for nice reasons. Yeah. I'll read the bad ones and delete them. That's a good new tagline. Until next time. We We are your your therapists next door. Bye. Bye.